baptism, just in case I'm a little bit thirsty. Um, I wondered what a poop noodle was. Paul and I were both wondering what that was. Did you see that in on that page in the bulletin? <clears throat> I thought of a couple other situations that might have been even worse than that. Uh, any of you know uh, Riley Donica's daughter, Cindy? Cindy Perkins now. She uh, was giving her senior recital, and she had made a great big poster that's supposed to have said, Recital to be performed such and such a time. I happened to walk by while she was putting it up in the, in the hall, and I noticed that the eye was missing, and I said, Don't you want to put an eye up there? And she said, Oh, and took it down. It said, rectal to be performed. <laughs> but the worst one, the worst one I ever saw, I got on the phone immediately when I saw it. Mark Worley was ministering in West Texas, and uh, he, was, he had put out the, the uh, church paper on, you know, in the mailing for uh, Bob... Blazik, who was a fanatic about grammar and spelling and all that kind of stuff and proofreading. And so Mark had very carefully proofread. He put out this thing, disseminated over thousands of people. And I got mine at Dallas. And instead of shut-ins, he had put an I in there. <laughs> and I immediately got on the phone and called him. Oh, no, Bob's going to kill me, he said. <laughs> It doesn't make take much to keep me happy. Uh, I'm kind of a freak about proofreading myself, and I've made some pretty graphic mistakes in my life. Uh, if you have your Bibles, and most of you probably do, you can turn to Psalm 22. I want to talk about that this morning. Psalm 22 is... You look at the title, it says, For the Director of Music, so this was for temple worship after uh, the second temple, to the tune of the doe of the morning, or the deer of the morning, a psalm of David. So there was a well-known tune that went along with this song, and they apparently sang this song together and played instruments in the temple. There was a whole band of instruments in the temple. Now, you remember when Jesus, and we've heard this today several times, uh, when Jesus was dying on the cross, Mark has the exact statement Jesus made in Aramaic in, in his Greek New Testament. Now, the verse, this verse in Psalm 22, verse 1, is quoted in Matthew as it is here uh, in, from the Hebrew. But uh, Jesus and his followers didn't speak pure Hebrew. They, they spoke a mixture that was mainly Aramaic. And Mark has, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And this verse, verse 1 of Psalm 22, is what Jesus is speaking from the cross. So I think there is a sense in which Jesus is well aware that he is fulfilling this psalm. 
And when he cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting right here to call our attention to this psalm. Now let's take a look. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my roaring, it actually says, like a lion roars. Oh my God, I cry out to you by day and you do not answer by night. And am not silent. You know, that night before, Jesus had just cried out to God three times in the garden. I mean, you know, here's a guy who's 33 years old. He's never sinned. He's more alive than anybody in this room. He didn't want to die. In fact, in Luke's Gospel, he tells his disciples, I told you before, if you have a sword, don't bring it. But now I'm telling you, if you have a sword, bring it. The disciples said, there are two swords here. And he said, that's enough. I think he was hoping for plan B that God would allow his disciples to fight before Pilate. When Pilate said, are you a king then? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would fight. So when he's in the garden, he's asking God, take this cup from me in hopes that there's some other plan. Nobody wants to die the way he had to die. When you think about this psalm, I want you to think about Jesus fulfilling this psalm. Now, this psalm was written about 1,000 B.C. I don't like the the two two letters, B.C., because that stands for before Christ, and there's no such thing. Messiah has always existed through all eternity. It was through him that God created the world. And so maybe we should call it B.J.B., before Jesus was born. You know, maybe that makes a little better sense than B.C. But here, this psalm was written a thousand years before Jesus was born by David. Seven hundred years before crucifixion was invented. The Persians invented crucifixion in the fourth century B.C. And so this psalm has deep roots that goes back before Crucifixion, and yet it speaks of the crucifixion. I want you to read it. You know, I cry out, and you don't, you don't hear me. There was no answer to Jesus in the garden. Jesus knew what he had to do. And he said at the end, Not my will, but yours be done. For you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. You know, the the hint here is, why aren't you delivering me from this? They cried to you you and they were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm. And by the way, that's the word maggot. And that almost certainly refers to his death. And not a man, scorned by the men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. I wish we had time 
to look at Matthew 27 because there's a verse there that said, All who walked by shook their heads at him. They mocked him. They said, If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe in you. You say you delight in him and he delights in you, let him save him. You know, all the fun that they made of Jesus. Got the nail in your hand, carpenter, where's your hammer? You know? He trusts in Yahweh. Let Yahweh rescue him. Here it is. Right out of Isaiah, right out of this psalm, the, the enemies of Jesus quote this in Matthew 27. Let him deliver him, for he delights in him. Yet you brought me forth out of the womb. You made me trust on you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Bulls of Bashan. That's a biblical Old Testament image of the wealthy people. The sleek, fat, rich people. In the time of Jesus, this would be the Pharisees and the scribes surrounding Him. It says they encircle Him. And look at this. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths against me. Ah! Come down from the cross. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. It's melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. My, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. When Jesus cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, some people standing there thought he was calling Elijah because his tongue was sticking to the roof of his mouth. He was drying out. His blood pressure was elevated. This psalm even gets that fact that his mouth is dried up like a potsherd. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. What are dogs to a Jew? Dogs and pigs are Gentiles. He's talking about the Roman soldiers surrounding Jesus here. You know, some of this stuff, we, we, you know, David wrote this about himself, and yet David never experienced some of this. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. A thousand B.C. this was written. Before crucifixion was invented. They pierced my hands and my feet. We never had this happen to David. There was no record of this happening to David. <coughs> if I had time, I'd go into the background of the words that are used here in the Hebrew text and the translations. All the versions, the Peshitta, which is the uh, Syriac version, the Greek version, all the translations say they pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. You know what that means, don't you? No bone was broken, as Harold said earlier. That fulfilled the prophecy. 
written in Psalm 34, but also all the way back in the 12th chapter of Exodus where Moses told the people (coughs) to sacrifice the lamb and put its blood up over the door and not to break any of its bones. The Passover lamb's bones were not to be broken. Jesus is saying here in this psalm, David is saying, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. My bones, it's like my bones are staring back at me. You know, when you're stretched out on a cross and you look down at yourself, you could see every, every rib. You could see the jutting out of your hip bone, your knees. I can count all my bones. You remember when Jesus died on the cross, the Roman soldiers performed curry fractures, what it's called. I like to read uh, medical journals and alternatives. I've done this since 1977 when my dad got cancer. My wife will tell you I've probably read two or three million pages. And I ran across an article in the medical journal of JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association, March 1987, written by three doctors entitled The Physical Effects of the Death of Jesus. And they talk about Crury fracture. Crury fracture is the breaking of the bone right above the knee on the outside, where they would come by with a club if somebody was still alive on the cross. They would break the bones of the legs so they would collapse and not be able to breathe out. They would die on the cross with their lungs completely expanded, but no, slowly oxygen turning into CO2, and they would die. Asphyxiate. When they came to the first thief, they performed curry fracture on his legs, and he collapsed and died, and They came to Jesus and looked at him and thought he was dead. They went on to the next one and broke their leg, that one's legs. Then they came back to Jesus, and just to make sure, one of the Roman soldiers took a spear and shoved it up under the right rib cage, up through the pericardial sac, into the heart. The heart was distended with blood. The pericardium was filled with plasma. So when that spear was withdrawn, that plasma and blood, the blood and water gushed out, and John 19 says, I saw it. I saw the blood and water gush out of his side at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So he's dead. So here is the story. They pierced my hands and my feet. Isaiah 53 says, They shall... They, they shall pierce his hands and feet. He will be pierced. And then Zechariah says, They shall look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn over him. And I always think of the 24th chapter of Luke. Two guys walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus joins them. And they're talking and Jesus is walking with them and they don't recognize him. And he said, What are you talking about as you walk along? And they said, Haven't you... You're the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by mighty works, we had hoped that He was the Messiah. We had hoped. That means we don't hope anymore. Jesus taught them. 
the resurrected Christ entered with them and broke the bread, and they recognized him, and he disappeared. You know, that's one thing that that tells me, is in the next world, there will be times when we can have privacy. Jesus was not recognized. There will be times when everybody will know us, whenever we're open. We'll be able to appear and disappear. We'll be able to go wherever we want to go, whether the doors are locked or not. You want to be someplace else, you can be there. No luggage, no airport fees. You just go. Instantaneous transportation. I think there's incredible things waiting for us beyond our wildest dreams. I think if we want to be under another sun and a different star system, we could be there. It's all going to be ours. <clears throat> the Scripture says whatever is Jesus, belongs to Jesus, is also ours. I am poured out like water. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. NIV inserts the word people, but that's... I can count all my bones. People, the, my bones stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That's in all four Gospels. This verse. Why would they have to do that? The Jews wore sandals, an inner garment, an outer garment, and a mantle, a headgear. Four. There were four soldiers, a quaternion of soldiers that guarded Jesus. So why would they have to cast lots? Remember that robe that somebody put on him that was one of Herod's robes? That robe didn't have a seam where he could divide it. So they cast lots for that robe. See, the, the, the amazing thing is these Roman soldiers knew nothing of this verse. But they were under the indictment of this verse, and they must fulfill Scripture. Scripture has to be fulfilled. And they cast lots for his clothing. We never have any record in the Old Testament of people casting lots for Jesus, for, for David's clothing. But we do for Jesus. <coughs> but you, O Yahweh, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly and help me. Deliver me. From the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs, the Gentiles. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Now, he's already said you took me, you laid me in the dust of death. Here are some images of death. Listen to what it says. The sword, the power of the dog, the mouth of lion. Images of death. He's asking to be rescued. But then the next verse says, and the NIV just pays no attention to the verbs, and this is the problem with a lot of the translation. The next verse says, you have saved me from the horns of the wild oxen. See, he's praying that God would save him from death, and now he is saved from death. Listen to what it says. I will declare your name to my brothers. He's gone through this piercing. He's gone through death. He's gone through the beating and the destruction of his body. He's gone through burial. And now I will declare your name to my brothers. He comes into the room with the doors locked. Eleven men cowering in there. 
and he enters the room. And he eats with them. You know, he didn't rise in some spiritual, ethereal sense. His body was gone. His body was renewed. They recognized his body by the piercing marks. And when Thomas saw him on the second time, he's the first one ever to call Jesus God. He sees him. He sees the marks of the nails. Jesus said, don't be doubting, but believe. And Thomas fell on his face in front of Jesus and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, don't call me God. Because Jesus is God. We do worship Jesus. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. That's to us. All you descendants of Judah, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hid his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor of the earth will eat and be satisfied. We just got through eating. And we are actually eating the body. Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And drinking the blood that was poured out there. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Thank God. Those who seek Yahweh will praise Him. Your hearts will live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Ends of the earth, here we are. 8,000 miles away from where this happened. And we're praising the Lord because it happened. All the families of the nations will bow down before Him. The Gentiles will bow down. Dominion belongs to the Lord and He will rule over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. Those who go down to the dust will kneel before Him. Every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, those who go down to the dust. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about Adonai. You see the, the, the word Lord there? That's a different word from the earlier word. The earlier word capitalized all the way through is Yahweh, God's personal name. But this word... Here in the second verse from the end, it will be told about Adonai, the human figure of God. It will be told about Jesus. They will proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn that He has done it. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have children's church. That's why I heard the message when I was young. And many of you have heard the message and we've been brought up in it, many of us. The message is this. Because of what Jesus did here, our sins are forgiven. And God is always with the person who is afflicted. If you're going through pain, realize God is with you now. C.S. Lewis says when we go through pain, God shouts at us. In our work, he speaks to us 
In our pleasure, He whispers. But in our pain, He shouts at us. If you're hurting, realize that God will take care of you. You may have to go through pain. Look at Jesus. I mean, we're no better than He is. He went through terrible pain. John 17, Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you love them just as you love me. You know, folks, I don't know if you're aware of this. The church in the world is growing faster today than ever before in history. In January of 2011, a book came out from Gordon Conwell University in Boston, the Intercultural Department. And in January of 2011, that book says 80,000 people an hour are coming to Christ. That's 2 million a day, faster than ever before in history. And right along with it is persecution. Our brothers and sisters in India, in China, in North Africa, in South Africa, in different places in the world, even in the 1040 window, the Arab nations are becoming Christians. Some of those people have never seen a Bible or talked to a Christian, but they have dreams about Jesus and they become followers of Jesus. I have a video that goes about a half hour about a young man in Turkey who had never met a Christian, never seen a Bible, but knew Jesus from dreams and followed Him for two years before He finally heard on a radio that they were offering free Bibles to people who would write in. And he was so excited, he wrote, it in, he wrote in, and he read the whole New Testament at one sitting without sleep. You know, we all have Bibles, and we just let them collect dust. We need to be committed to it the way this guy Well, I mean, can you imagine being a Christian for two years with no Bible and no other Christian? God will take care of you if you suffer. Just like Jesus, you may still have to suffer. My, my good friend, uh, Barry Ham, out in Colorado, one of my past students, emailed me and said, my second wife just left me. He said, I think God's abandoned me. And I wrote him and said, read Jeremiah chapter 3. And he read Jeremiah 3 and discovered that God had been divorced twice. Shocking! And Barry wrote me back and said, I didn't know. God must know the pain of it. He's been with me all the way through it. And he wrote a book. And the book is called God Understands Divorce by Barry Ham, Ph.D., I've written a couple books, but God's with you if you suffer. Realize that. God has suffered in Jesus Christ. He understands. And He will deliver you. And He's on your side. And He knows you so well. I hope I have time this week to get to Psalm 139 because 
That psalm says, before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it all together. You read my thoughts from afar. You penetrate me. You know me. You empty me. You understand me. You forgive me. Total knowledge. used to scare me half to death when I read the fourth chapter of Hebrews and saw that it says the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, stripping us open and splitting us naked, dividing between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, opening us up before the eyes of the One to whom we must give an account. It used to scare me that God knows me that well until I read the rest of the book of Hebrews. And I discovered He wants to know me completely so He can forgive me completely. God's with you in your suffering. Let's pray. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray that our relationship with you will improve and will rise above the written word, but that your word will be written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the forgiveness of sin. We confess, Father, that we are sinners and we need your forgiveness. Honor and glory and power to your Son for all he's done for us. And help us to preach the word that the world is forgiven. The whole world. The Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.